Welcome to season one of the Imperial Innovation and Entrepreneurship Podcast, hosted by Yasmina, Jayshan, and Sam. We're bringing to the table insights from game-changing entrepreneurs, business executives, and our very own community members. Thank you for coming along for the ride, and we hope you enjoy this episode. IND fam, what is up? My name is Sam, and I'm studying the MSC IEM program here at the Business School. And I could not be more pumped to be co-hosting the first IND podcast episode with my man Jay Shen, who you will hear from in just a second. Um, our vision with this podcast is to bring in game-changing entrepreneurs, renowned speakers, and our very own community to share tactical advice and inspiring stories in a conversational-like fashion. We hope that this podcast serves as an additional resource and will support and energize you throughout your personal and professional journeys. And without further ado, I'm going to kick it to Jay, who will introduce himself and our amazing guest for today. Thank you for that very kind introduction, Sam. Uh, so I'm Jay Shan, also at the Business School, currently doing my MBA. And just to echo what Sam has said, you know, we aim to bring you guys and the Imperial community another channel of communication. You know, we hope that it keeps you inspired and supported in your entrepreneurial endeavors during this lockdown. Hashtag bring on June 21st. We also want to make this, you know, a two-way form of communication and invite some of our listeners and members to the podcast. So it's a lot more engaging and relatable, which, can, which, which we can also talk about, you know, a little bit later on. So enough of Sam and I rambling on. Let's bring on our guest speaker for this episode. He's a friendly and familiar face around Imperial Campus a fantastic mentor, leader, and the director of entrepreneurship. It's our very own Mr. Ben Monbycroft. How are you doing, Ben? Hey, everyone. Great to see you. Uh, delighted. Thanks for inviting me, guys. I will endeavor to be as passionate and enthusiastic as you guys. That was, was a fantastic introduction. I will try and live up to the billing. That's, I'm sure you can. I mean, one of the reasons why we, why we brought you on is because in every workshop or in, in every webinar I've seen you, you've just been, you know, really enthusiastic, bring so much energy. And we thought, you know, you'd be, you'd be an incredible guest to have on our first episode and really get our members excited. So really thrilled to have you. Cool. Fingers crossed. Yeah, do this. <laughs> exactly. Um, Sam, shall we, shall we dive straight in with the um, yeah, rapid okay. fire round? Okay, so Let's kick off. We, awesome, awesome. So Sam and I thought we'd break the ice a little bit so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more and really get under the skin of Ben. Um, so we've prepared a, a, a bunch of quick fire questions, you know, just feel free to, to answer them and then um, we can move on to, you know, the next stage of, of the episode. So, so I've not seen these questions. I don't know what I'm about to be asked, so. <laughs> really wanna get your, your gut instinct reaction to these. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll be awesome. Um, Sam, do you wanna kick it off? Yeah, so first question, Ben. Clubhouse, overrated or underrated? Massively overrated. <laughs> I'm controversial. I'm not, so I've signed up to it and I've, I've kind of, I've, I've, I've dipped my toe in the water. I just, I don't get it. Maybe it's an age thing. Maybe I just, I, at the moment. <laughs> awesome. Uh, favorite movie of all time? Oh God. Oh, uh, Oh, that's so difficult. Uh, Blade Runner director's cut or anything. I'm pretty obsessed by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it used to be Star Wars, but now yes. I'm 
MCU yeah. fan person. Big, big Marvel fan over here as well. Um, what is your go-to productivity hack? Oh my God. Um, it's my go-to productivity hack is like, it's analog. It's a notebook and a pen. <laughs> yeah, analog, guys. I'm, 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 I'm a great believer in, in sort of um, thinking and planning in analog and then kind of going digital. So yeah, that's, uh, again, it, it's a notebook. It's paper and pen. That's my top productivity hack. Keeping it simple. I like it. What new tech do you think will transform the future? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think something that's really personal to me at the moment. So I, I should be like talking about warp engines and AI and stuff like that. So it's really personal to me at the moment. It's, it's kind of personalized uh, medicine and healthcare. And so it's like I'm type 1 diabetic. And something that's transformed my life, and I see it's happening more and more is like, you know, you kind of typically, if you're type one, you, you like take your blood sugar once a day and you kind of try and it's like you're trying to steer something, but you're sitting in the back seat with like, you know, string on the steering wheel. So it's pretty difficult. So, you know, continuous glucose monitoring. So the ability for you to be able to kind of continuously monitor what's happening and then to be able to act on that. So for me, kind of all the stuff around personalized healthcare. And, and healthcare becoming sort of intimate, it happens at home. It's not something that you go and see the doctor like once a month and there's like this kind of clinical intervention. The fact that more and more you're able to kind of, you know, make those decisions at home. That for me is, is a huge thing. If you could have one person over for dinner, they can be dead or alive, who would they be? That is a really good question. Um, it's a guy called Kevin Smith. Uh, he is a sort of indie film director, complete uh, comic nerd and fanboy. He pushes, he does something on YouTube called Fat Man Beyond. Uh, right. And he's just awesome. He's just a very larger than life character, absolutely hilarious. So that would be my kind of, that's that's kind of my ideal dinner date. Interesting, I think I need to look into this. Sounds, sounds pretty cool. I know, I feel like I should be saying like, you know, oh, Steve Jobs, obviously, duh, or Elon Musk, but you know, obviously, you know, famous entrepreneurs, but for me, it would be somebody that's got, who's like super passionate about what they do and has got like a big personality and has had lots of interesting and varied life experiences. So next I'm going to ask, which Hogwarts house would you be sorted into? I don't get Harry Potter. I never <laughs> you know, like Hufflepuff. I don't know. <laughs> I know the names. Uh, Slytherin and what's the other? Gryffindor, oh. we've got Gryffindor, yeah. I think we've got Ravenclaw. Raven, any of those, I don't care. Fair play, nice. Uh, yeah, whatever, Potter. <laughs> I should say Gryffindor, shouldn't I? Everybody says Gryffindor, so I'm going to say Hufflepuff. No, that's good, that's good. We don't want to follow the crowd. I got a, I got a deeper question here for you, Ben. Um, if you had to pick one age to be permanently, which age would you choose? 25. Why is that? Because um, it's just the best age ever, isn't it? So like you go to university and, and you don't necessarily, I mean, you've got an idea of what you want to do, but you don't necessarily know a lot. And you have had many experiences where I, I think, or actually maybe I've got, a, it's either, it's it's late 20s. It's the point at which you've got a bit of life experience under your belt. You've you've been out into the world of work. You know, you've, you've it's just a great age. You've kind of peak, peak health, peak fitness, uh yeah. mental acuity and you know all of you still got all of the sort of 
opportunities open in front of you. If, if I could, I would definitely choose to be stuck in my mid twenties. Yes, I better start doing something with my life then. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying, like you don't realise it, and that's the thing about you don't realise it at the time, do you? But yeah, you, exactly. you, you look back and you go, "Oh my god, what was I worrying about?" You know, but it, and, but I remember people saying that to me when I was 25, going, "Well, you know, nothing," because geez, you know. But it, it's it's such a great age. Yeah, love that. Um, well, Ben, I uh, just wanted to say congratulations on passing um, through the rapid fire questions. I'm sure our community members will really enjoy tuning in and getting to know you, um, you know, a bit more on a personal level. But now I wanted to dive in into the nitty gritty of things. Um, could you maybe take us back to way before you started at Imperial? Where and how did your interest in entrepreneurship, you know, first come about? I think, um, so I, I was one of those, I never necessarily saw myself as being an entrepreneur. So I didn't mm. sort of um, sort of identify with the, the sort of stereotypical entrepreneur, which let's be honest, in the UK tends to be like a kind of market trader or like a, a sort of Alan Sugar kind of figure. So I, I never really aspired to that. I never really liked that. I didn't want to be that kind of individual. I guess I've always been fairly contrarian. I've always been fairly kind of, creative i've like enjoyed doing things like i enjoyed doing things my own way um so so i think i was always entrepreneurial in that in that regard or enterprising but but never really saw myself as as kind of being an entrepreneur i you know i started out in, in kind of like the beginnings i was like working as a project manager for like a, an industry network so you know not the most entrepreneurial career i think my way into it was i i realized that i really enjoyed working marketing and comms and and that kind of formed the template for like probably my first 10 years which was you know going from working out in the first job that actually what i really enjoyed was marketing comms and then making the second job more about that then by the third job i kind of go well i'm actually going to like start something myself so actually running some small sort of marketing agencies so that was kind of my, my route into entrepreneurship and it was more it wasn't like oh, i'm going to set up a platform i'm going to set up a business that's infinitely scalable if I had my time again, I'd go back and kind of go, maybe a, a small consulting business isn't the most scalable thing in the universe. But that was kind of my, my entry into entrepreneurship. In terms of my entry into sort of entrepreneurship education or starting to, you know, work more in this environment in the university, I mean, I, I was kind of looking, my, my dad was very entrepreneurial. So he set up his own business. He lost that business. He retrained and went into academia and he ran like an enterprise center back in the late 90s, early sort of 2000s. Um, and he was, he was like one of the, one of the first uh, centers that started to teach entrepreneurship in, in the kind of way that we would recognize it now. And he'd set up a program uh, in Cambridge at Anglia Ruskin and said, oh, you do marketing. Week five is they've got to learn about marketing so you can come in and teach some students for me. So I did that and, and kind of really enjoyed sort of teaching. And, and that's kind of, so I sort of set up my own marketing business then started teaching on the side and then gradually like the side gig became like the full-time job. So and what I also glossed over is probably back in 2007, so I was still working as a marketing consultant. I worked in Oxford. So my first experience of entrepreneurship in a university setting was running the Oxford University Business Plan Competition, 2006. The high, you know, the best, the best competition of the early 2000s. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it was kind of interesting. And I mean, what's interesting now, looking back, 
then is you, you, you don't have business plan competitions anymore. But back then, entrepreneurship was like, well, it, it only happens at a business school. And if you want to be an entrepreneur, well, you better well write a 20 page business plan before you know, that's the first thing you should do. So it's, it's an interesting sort of personal evolution and also been able to follow the evolution of how entrepreneurship is taught at university level. Oh, that's really interesting. I, I really like that you've drawn kind of inspiration from different things and you've kind of worked with your interests in, in marketing and kind of developed your competitive advantage and kind of went into entrepreneurship that way. And, and, that's, and I think that's key to always. I think that's really interesting. So like you kind of, like, there's a book, uh, Ken Robinson talks, has wrote a book called The Element and like finding your element. And it's, it's the point at which, you know, it's like what you really enjoy and you can get paid for and you're also good at it. Right. For me, you know, I often felt at various points in my career, and I have, a, you know, you know, you present in, the, in these kind of interviews, you present, oh, yeah, it was all great, and it was just like smooth runaway, whereas it wasn't. I mean, there's times when I'm like, oh, I'm in the wrong job, or I've missed the opportunity. But for me, the first, you know, where I genuinely got that sense of being in my element, of actually, like, being good at something, being passionate about something, and being paid, you know, being paid for it, was this kind of entrepreneurship education kind of role. Which, I mean, to be honest, didn't really exist in universities, you know, probably have only, the, you know, the University Entrepreneurship Centre has only really existed as a thing for like the last 10, 15 years. So it's, but that's me, that's, that's kind of like, it's a role that I really enjoy that, you know, I think I'm okay at. No, that's good. And I, and I have to admit, I did do a little LinkedIn search and I've realised that you've also done quite a lot, a lot of mentorship. I think you've worked with it with a couple of accelerators and obviously now you're at Imperial you know, obviously the key, key figure of entrepreneurship. And, and that's, it's good to see that, you know, you've developed all of that and now sharing that knowledge with everyone. That's, uh, that's really inspiring. So moving on then to, to what, what, you're, what, to, what you're up to now as the director of entre entrepreneurship, you know, there's obviously no question that you've got a huge range of responsibilities, I guess, just from your day-to-day your -day work. What's kind of the favorite thing that you do on the job? Is there any meetings or inter interactions or or events that come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the best, so I, I guess I'll remit is, I mean, you know, entrepreneurship is much bigger than the enterprise lab. I mean, we are just a, we're a, we're a player. Mm. And yes, we're a, we're a well-known player, but there's so much going on across the ecosystem. Um, and I think the, the role that we play is, is um, so I was talking to, I did some interviews with academics recently and uh, Ramana Nanda from the business school. Oh yeah. Kind of, summed up i think so he, he was talking around you know what makes what we do at imperial different elsewhere and he talked about you know the entrepreneurship entrepreneurship education it, you know at imperial it's hypothesis based and it's experiential and i think that's really what we focus on in the enterprise lab so you don't come to us for credit so we don't teach courses where so you don't have to work with us i mean it's not like you know you have to do the, the venture catalyst challenge to pass your course you don't so, so we kind of occupy that extracurricular for those students that are interested in enterprise and entrepreneurship, may have studied the course, but want to take it forward. We provide that kind of follow-on support service, or it's almost like, well, I've learned about this in the classroom and now I actually get to go and like do some kind of practice-based learning and, and kind of learn from experience. Um, so that, that's kind of where I think we fit into the piece. Um, but we don't, we only, you know, we don't invest in startups so so for us it's we kind of we talk about entrepreneurial learning and development so we very much see entrepreneurship education as it's not necessarily about venture creation for us it's about how do we sort of inspire 
educate, nurture entrepreneurial talent. So another way of thinking about us would be like a talent incubator. That's fundamentally what we do. Um, so we don't necessarily judge success by, you know, we've got loads of startups that are raising money, even though we count that. For us, it's about, you know, do people start their journey with us? And that journey might take three, four, five, six years to result in something, but that's where we focus. I think the most, going back to your original question, the, the thing that I enjoy the most, which is, and I've spoken with colleagues and we all agree, you just get you just get to meet really amazing, bright, intelligent people with all kinds of ideas every day, from the, the absolutely sublime, like genius ideas, to ideas that you've heard before, to, to completely ridiculous, like you just get everything. And it's so interesting and it's so varied. Um, and that for me, it kind of, and because you're working with really young, passionate, intelligent people, it's kind of energizing. And, and it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a great, you know, it, it, it stops you from becoming too cynical, but it's, it's very difficult not to be inspired by the energy and the enthusiasm and the ideas of, of kind of like the students that we work with. Yeah, Ben, I absolutely love that. Just to like piggyback off what you were saying, I think one of the main reasons I actually decided to study at Imperial was because of how vibrant the startup culture is here. Um, I also think I that being that. at- quote, quote him on that. <laughs> but also, um, I just think, you know, when you're at Imperial, no matter like where you are along your entrepreneurial journey, like whether it's, you know, you might have an idea that you've been thinking about for a while or whether you have an established business and you're looking to scale, I think Imperial has literally all the tools and resources to, you know, help out at any stage of the entrepreneurial journey, right? And I think that is super unique. But um, moving on to this next question, um, I was shamelessly looking at your LinkedIn a little bit, um, and I heard you reference this term permanent beta. Um, and I was wondering um, if you could unpack that a bit for us and our audience and share how that kind of applies. I probably read it. I probably read it in the book. <laughs> It sounds very kind of voguish, doesn't it? It's sort of like startup. Mm -hmm. I mean, my reading of permanent beta is, is you know, everything's a work in progress. Mm. That, you know, that the, the, the job is never finished. And I, it, the other way I, I kind of speak around, it's like having a restless spirit. So, you know, yes, you run a program one, you know, for a year, but I, I'm always, I'm the kind of person that's always like, oh yeah, that was great, but we've done that now. How do we kind of improve it? Or how do we tweak it? Or how do we evolve it? So for me, that's that's kind of like a permanent beta sort of mindset. It, it's having that restlessness, that wanting to to kind of change something or improve it or modify it. Um, that that kind of for me is, I think, what I kind of probably you know mean by that term is it, that sense of the, the job's never done really. You're constantly looking to improve. Again, sort of speaking to a number of our sort of faculty members, and and I'm one great, and I think this might have been Ramana again. So it talks about, you know, entrepreneurship is stochastic, not deterministic. It's something that grows and evolves over time. And there's a certain amount of randomness there. And I think that that speaks to that's kind of what entrepreneurship is about. It's about, you know, small scale, iterative, you know, evolution. There isn't there isn't necessarily a finish point. You know, it's kind of even if we had our best ever year, I'd still at the end of that year be like, all right, that's great. But what can we do next year? What can we change up? You know, what are other people doing that we should be doing? That for me is a, is a kind of permanent beta kind of mindset. I mean, what uh, Amazon they talk about day one, don't they? It's like that day one mindset. Like, you know, imagine we don't have a, you know, what would we be doing right now? 
if this was the first day and we had all possibilities open to us yeah you know, it's kind of like that sort of what, what i would call like restlessness 100 percent. i think that's really important because because consumer behavior always changes trends always change markets always change so you can't assume that everything's you know any one thing is fixed and you've you know sold your problem it's always changing and it's if you're on if you're always on your toes and, and you have that attitude and you have that perspective then you know you're you're obviously kind of heading in the right direction and that's really important and, and i and i kind of like the fact that just on a side note you've had a number of positive conversations with ramana nanda because it gives me confidence I've picked one of one of one of his electives. So hopefully I'll get something um, in education <laughs> as well. Probably. Although those were the best bits. Everything else has been awful. So uh, no, Roman is great. He's awesome. No, that's fantastic. So moving on to the to the next question, I kind of wanted to ask something slightly challenging or playing devil's advocate in a sense on, on some of the principles that we've taught and some of the things that we've learned, you know, from the business school, from the enterprise lab. Um, you know, so obviously, you know, we're taught that we need to define our problem and, you know, frame our problem, understand, you know, what people are after. And once we get an understanding of their issues and, you know, we, we can look into going into the ideation stage. And I guess, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is, you know, looking at the biggest successes of our time, you know, you've got Facebook, you've got Google, and they've had, you know, a number of competitors before them. They've had like the search engines have been around before, you know, things like MySpace have been around before. I guess my question is, you know, what are your thoughts on that and, and how they've excelled and, and linking that to, you know, framing a problem or, or a new problem, perhaps? It's, really, it's a really interesting question. I think that what they've been able to do is, is to, you know, I, whether or not they did it consciously, like strategically, right, we're going to sit down and we're going to map the problems with search currently. And we're going to sort of work, we're going to hypothesize the ultimate solution. And work. But instinctively, they've been able to identify the fact that something something's imperfect something that could, it could be massively improved upon i mean particularly if i think about the search experience you know going back to the late 90s when google first came in so that there is a kind of regardless of whether or not they're kind of sitting down with a canvas and defining a problem they've defined a very they've zoned in on a market need or a market problem um so for me it's it's that ability to be able to take like a technical solution and marry it with a market need and the market problem and, and that's like the real you know, and I think what we try and do for education is we try and because I, I think the the reason that we go down this route of saying, right, no, define the problem first is because everybody automatically wants to jump into the solution and start talking about features and benefits. And, and that's a rabbit hole. Yeah, that's that leads you into endless like into a mental vortex of like what the product could be and what it might work. So I think that the I think the focus in entrepreneurship education around the problem is, is to try and get people to not get too caught up in like their amazing idea, because from experience, we know that that idea is going to have to change and evolve. And it is to start to get people to think more about the market and the market need. I think it was interesting, again, from the conversations with faculty members. Um, so I spoke with Peter Corley in the Faculty of Engineering, who's the sort of the associate dean of enterprise. And he was talking around, you know, what Imperial does amazingly well is it's it's a fantastic technical institution and it provides an amazing technical education. But often what's missing in a technical education is like some of the softer skills, which is like, you know, understanding market need and a market problem, understanding actually what your customers think, because you can't just like helicopter in a solution, drop it and, and it takes off. It, so, it, so it's kind of, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm talking around your question, but it's, you know, fundamentally to have a successful idea, it must meet some kind of perceived market need, challenge or problem. There is no way around that. 
I'm really resonating with what you're saying there because actually just a few weeks ago, we were discussing in class how important it is to have a customer-centric approach um, to entrepreneurship, right? Because I think more often than not, we see people kind of introduce these products and add these incredible features on without really knowing whether this is useful for a, from a consumer's perspective, right? So I think what you just said adds so much insight. Um, but moving on to the next question, um, I'm a big fan of the uh, newsletter that you guys are putting out. And I love the section where you guys kind of highlight some of the you know, past startups that have gone through the enterprise lab and are not doing amazing things. And um, I just, I'm just curious to know what common themes do you see in successful entrepreneurs um, that come out of Imperial? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I came across this term recently that talked about like confident humility. And what's always interesting me in the kind of entrepreneurial mindset is, is it's the ability to be really pig-headed and contrarian, but also the ability to be able to flip into quite a, a humble, like listening mindset. And, and I think for me, it's always it's those two, what really strikes me is those teams that are very clear about what they want to do. Yeah. And have confidence and are prepared to kind of go, we're not going to do it that way. But, but that's not, they're not like one trick ponies. Like they they also have the ability to, to flip into like standing back and just kind of listening and going, oh yeah, actually the way we were thinking about that, that was, that was crap. That's never going to work. So for me, it's that kind of mental flexibility, it's the ability to be able to switch between, no, screw it. We're going to do it this way to, you know, so it's not arrogance. It's not like cause entrepreneurs that are just to no, this is, this is the way the world works. I'm literally going to like pursue this idea. I'm not going to listen to anyone because I'm right tend to come a cropper and on the flip side like people that don't have that unless you have that confidence and drive then you're constantly going to be second guessing and over analyzing the situation so for me it's it's the ability it's confident humility it's the ability to be like to stick to stick to your beliefs and to be pig-headed and yes to make mistakes in doing so but also to be able to kind of go right hang on a sec we got that wrong what can we learn from that um it, it's an interesting because on the one hand, we say, no, if you're an entrepreneur, you've got to be resilient, you've got to persevere, you've got to be like really super focused. But if, if that's your only like way of operating, you're never, you're never necessarily going to get anywhere. There's a really great article recently by Adam Grant. I think it's a Harvard Business Review. And he talked about like the people that changed Steve Jobs' mind because everybody used to think, well, Steve Jobs was just a genius and he just like, he just battered his way. And he just, like, I've got an idea for a product, it's going to work. And he just battered everyone into submission. And he, he kind of writes, no, actually, you know, behind that public, like that very forbidding public demeanor of like, oh my God, he's a nightmare. He never changed his mind. That actually he would change his mind. So it's kind of, for me, it's that ability to, to be in that kind of on-off state. It's, it's kind that's, of absolutely. That's that's so interesting. Cause I mean, like you said, you know, you see Steve, Steve Jobs and you see all these other entrepreneurs and you see them as, you know, vision creators and you, you assume that they've created one thing and they've just stuck to their guns and they've gone all the way down that path. But, you know, like you said, that there's a, you need to have a balance between, you know, remaining humble, remaining um, and, and being attentive and aware and listening to what other people have, are saying, but also sticking to your guns at certain times. And I guess um, it's interesting because when you think you have a vision, then you speak to someone who's an industry expert and they're telling you, telling you something one way. You know, obviously, it's important to listen to them. But then obviously the decision comes back to you and it's, just, it's up to you to decide, yeah. you know, do you want to follow your vision or do you want to um, listen yeah, to what Maybe that's the way things happen in that industry. Maybe it happens that way because it's that's just always the way it's been. Nobody's really thought about challenging that. So another conversation, Professor Peter Charles in the Dyson School, 
and he 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 sort of said was relaying an entrepreneur he works with which is like uh, he said having that approach so you know being really attentive to listening to reasons people give why something won't work yeah and like noting that and being really like rigorously noting that down and then going back and challenging the team and exploring that and he said actually that should be part of your ip listing all of the reasons that people give you why something won't work because that's something you can work with that's something that you can you know you can disprove that you so that's another really interesting approach for how you can you know not just kind of go well you're wrong i disagree so i'm going to do this anyway but actually listen and process that information and and kind of you know find out you know what what what's really happening underneath everything yeah, exactly. I think I think that's that's so important and so vital. And, and I just just it's difficult sometimes, you know, when you spend, you know, months or like six to eight weeks working on something and you think it's in the right direction and then someone gives you some feedback. It's it's hard to, to not take it the wrong way. But obviously, you know, this is an experience where you're refining and building and and then working yeah. on things. That's... And, and I think we, we're pretty understanding to that because it, it is really hard. You know, it's it's like you kind of, oh, yeah, isn't it great? Do a competition with somebody. No, actually, no, if, if you just miss the cut and, you, have, you know, it's like you can get really, but it, and that's that's normal and that's absolutely natural. But it, it's the, I guess what you're always looking for is once that has passed, it's like, right, okay, that didn't pan out the way we were thinking. What can we learn from that? And for me, that's at the heart of successful entrepreneurship. It's the ability to be able to synthesize like, like you know contra information stuff that's that's actually not worked out for you and, and kind of in, integrate that and evolve from that exactly. it's very easy to write about and of course everybody would say well yeah of course i'm going to do that it's actually it's difficult to do in practice yeah and it's trying to have that. and yeah, yeah exactly and it's trying to have that win-win perspective i guess because you know if someone gives a comment or a criticism it's taking that the right way and then pushing forward with it um, and, and just following on to the next question, I guess, which is kind of um, flipping around um, in a sense what we just talked about. So you know, we've talked about common themes that successful entrepreneurs had. I guess uh, what I wanted to ask is where have you seen successes against your initial intu intuition? So have you seen anyone become successful you know, without having these traits that you've seen? You know, how much does luck kind of play into, into this? That's a really good question. I mean, like... Because we all, we all have a tendency to, I think that is a really interesting question. What's the balance between look and strategy? Yeah, um, and there's um, so Bill Arlet, who runs the MIT Martin Trust Center for Entrepreneurship, did a blog post recently. And he talks about his favorite books about entrepreneurship that aren't about entrepreneurship. And he references like a card playing book. And, and the, the kind of analogy of cards is really interesting, right? Because there is an element, there's a strong, you know, you, you don't necessarily, you know, you get the cards that you get in the hand you're dealt. You don't get to choose, but there is a strategy by which you can maximize there. So I think, I think that a strong part of entrepreneurship is look. It is about being in the right place at the right time. Now, obviously, you know, to to get into that position, you've got to be entrepreneurial. You've got to put yourself into contention. But if I go back to the consultant connect idea and like stopping people from going into hospitals. Right, the look element there is they decided to sell at the height of a pandemic. They did not plan that when they were going for for selling the business. Uh, so that's like that's just that's just. I mean, they were they created that opportunity, but that that's look. You can't you can't cater for that. Similarly, you can have the best strategy in the world, right? You could have thought, right, we've got we've got an amazing co-working space strategy. We are going to absolutely be sort of actually not not we work because 
they were coming with a house bit on cards but but we've got we've got an amazing idea or we've got the best idea for a travel app or a travel service that nobody's ever seen anything like this yeah next day covid so so look plays a really strong part i think it's not all about like and i think look play look plays a stronger part than we would all like to admit sometimes but for me that comes back to being that notion of permanent feature and being flexible being able to like roll with the ups and downs and be flexible and adapt is kind of absolutely essential. Yeah, just listening to what you're saying here, Ben, I think one quote comes to mind. I think it was by Muhammad Ali or something. And he was saying something along the lines of everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. I love that quote. That was a really good one. And, and that for me is like the problem, you know, think around how we teach entrepreneurship. And, and this is what I think is really interesting about Steve Blank and the whole lean startup movement is is going back to when we have business plan competitions. It's like, right, well, what the what the successful businesses have? They have strategy and they have planning, they have business plans. Right. So if you want to create a small business, it's just like a large business, you need a plan. Whereas actually, it's almost like the difference between teaching quantum theory and general relativity. When we talk about large corporations, we still talk about the planning cycle. When we talk about small organizations, it's all about agility and like not necessarily having a plan and actually finding out a business model that might be worth pursuing. So for me, what was really interesting about the whole Lean Startup was that prior to that, we, we had a kind of, we saw entrepreneurship as like intelligent design. So you can kind of intelligently design a startup through the business plan. Whereas I think Lean Startup is a much more sort of Darwinian evolutionary approach to kind of, well, no, actually that's the worst way to try and, you know, create a new company. The best way is to actually get out into the marketplace, deal with the ambiguity and, and learn very quickly from the kind of stimuli that you're getting from customers in the marketplace. Yeah, but I love that quote, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. It's so true. It needs to be on a billboard for sure. Well, um, but I find it very easy to spend six months working on the ideal plan, right? Because that's easy, right? People, right, nobody wants to, to, to suddenly realize that the last six months they've been working on this amazing plan, they've wasted five months because yes. it doesn't work in practice. That's human nature. Human nature is to not want to, you know, put yourself into a position where something you don't like make yourself feel vulnerable. Yeah. 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 Love that, Ben. Um, time has just freaking flown by here, but I'm thinking maybe we have time to maybe get one or two more questions in. Um, really wanted to kind of pick your brain. If you had one piece of advice to give to an imperial entrepreneur who has just started their master's or has just started their undergrad here, what would that one piece of advice be? Oh my God. Um, I just, I, I, I think this goes back to my point about being in, it's such an amazing time in your life. You, I think you don't realize it until it's gone. Um, you've got so much opportunity open to you at imperial. And it, it for me, it's just about, you know, throw yourself into it, sample widely, you know, go to events and meetings that, you know, that, that are kind of, that are interesting, but just really throw yourself into, into life and into, you know, having as varied experiences as possible. Um, because it, it is time, it is time that passes. And I, and I don't think that you quite realize at the time. And I think for me, it's, you know, it's particularly for entrepreneurial, it's not, it's not just going to happen. And, and often it's like, you know, oh, yeah, I've got this idea, but I've got a technical co-founder. And what's the, like, do you have a killer solution or hack as to how I could fight? Well, no, I don't. You've, you've got to put yourself out there and, like, attend stuff and sign up for things. Even, you know, even if you're not sure that 
it's going to go anywhere. That for me would be it's like just really throw yourself, you know, into interesting things and meeting interesting people. It's amazing what happens when you do that. Uh, but it's sometimes that. difficult because if you want a, if you want a defined outcome, like you you don't necessarily always know where things are going to go. So I would just say, I mean, look, there's so many interesting cool people there's so many interesting societies cool events i think you've got to like max out on that 100 and i'm just going to add to that and say you know we have to remind ourselves that we're in a university school education environment you know it's an entirely safe space when i came into imperial i was like you know i'm going to try so many things and because it's a safe space and this is a chance for me to make mistakes and learn from them and then halfway through the year you know you can get caught up in into that environment where you know i don't want to make myself vulnerable but then you know i just turn that around and kind of that's one of the reasons why i'm doing this podcast not something i'd usually do but you know it's just an example of you know throwing yourself out there taking taking opportunities yeah. and that takes think, you down the road that's really good advice Jay. I, it's like do things that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable not like mass not like i'm taking a massive risk here but do things put yourself into situations where you're a bit uncomfortable because that's that's where really interesting things happen. And that's where things get really creative. Uh, I think that's great advice. Yeah, and it's, it's not just testing your business plan or your your ideas, it's also testing yourself, you know, testing mm. your character. And I think that's definitely important. All right, awesome. Sam, what do you think? Do you think we should we should ask one more question or should we, tr should we close this up? Um, I think maybe we have time for one more question. Jay, feel free to go ahead. Awesome. Let's see. Let's see what we've got in the bank here. <laughs> um, maybe we can just quickly touch upon entrepreneurial finance for a second, I guess. I think it, it seems today that there's, you know, there's so many financing options available to founders. You know, you've got grants, um, VCs, angels, and you've even got crowdfunding now, which is, you know, really taking off. Um, what I guess my question is, what are some of the key elements that people should be thinking about? when they're looking to you know, finance their ideas and their plans and, and fundraising? How should they navigate and leverage what's around them to, to, to work, to, to find out what's best for their business? Yeah, I guess um, for me, I, I mean, my question, do you need, you know, why do you need, so first I need funding, right? I've got an idea, we need to raise funding, why? You don't need funding at the start. That's the last thing, you know, you, actually what you need to do is you need to use your imagination and creativity, prove that you've got You've identified a valid problem and prove that you know with, with minimal resources that people are interested if you want to make money if you want to sell a product if you want to convince somebody else to give you money right that's you need to demonstrate some kind of traction so i often think that people put the cart before the horse it's like well i've got this idea and i just need money to make it happen well no no one's going to give you money to learn whether or not it's a stupid idea or not that's on you you've got to do that yeah, exactly. i also think that there's, there's a you know, we tend to kind of go, particularly in the startup world, oh yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, I, I need seed funding and I'm gonna do series A. And so people don't think about like competition prizes. They don't think about crowdfunding. They don't think about, um, you know, grants from sort of research institutions. There's a whole panoply of ways in which you can get funding and financing all the way through to actually, you know, the, the really old fashioned notion of selling a product and making money through sales. So I think that we tend to just kind of go, oh no, funding is it's seed, it's angel funding. Whereas actually there's a, there's a whole range of different like funding types and depending on where you are, what stage you're at, what kind of business you're building, there's probably pros and cons to, to each. So for me, it's, it's amazing how, you know, people come in and they're like, right, I need funding. And, and at the very early stages, I'm like, no, you don't. You might need funding if you can demonstrate 
And if you have a credible story that you've identified a validated market need, and you know, with minimal resources, you're already generated significant interest. I think that for me is, is absolutely key. The other thing I've seen, and this is more on crowdfunding, is like, don't underestimate how much work running a crowdfunding campaign is. So it's not just a, um, you know, I think sometimes there's a notion of, oh yeah, we'll just shoot a video, stick a page up, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be like the sort of Pebble smartwatch or like those, you know, those campaigns that sort of blow up. Um, you know, crowdfunding is definitely really interesting, but don't underestimate how much work and effort it is. Um, what is good about crowdfunding though is, is like, often people find it hard to like speak, to, like ask strangers whether or not they think their idea is any good. And I think, you know, at least Kickstarter, Indiegogo, is a great way of seeing seeing whether or not a whole bunch of strangers think you've created something that's worth like giving money towards. So, percent, yeah, yeah, definitely. And Don't I, get too caught up on you know, your mission number one is to identify a validated problem, yeah, and come up with some kind of innovative solution and provide evidence that people don't actually pay you money for that. If you can do that, I'm not saying funding is like suddenly the funding tap kind of comes on and you get. If you can do that then that opens up you know that that clears the way for raising finance yeah definitely it makes sense i mean if i kind of put myself in the investor's shoes i mean i'm only going to part with my money if i if i'm really confident that it's it's going to show it's going to you know give me some value or show some traction or someone's going to buy it um and then it's also yeah, so, so, like Jay, so all right okay Jay, yeah magno jim yeah great so who what oh right so it's just oh, so you've not spoken to any oh all right okay so you want to give you a bunch of money to work out whether or not this is like you're like that's man that's mental why that's not going to work is it so that's kind of like you know a, a, taking a slightly different mindset to it 100 percent. and on the crowd you go for it sam i've, I've, I've rambled uh, on go for it. i was just gonna throw out a point i think the people who actually do secure funding when it they're just in the idea stage they're either you know at least from what i've been reading is that they've either you know run successful exits in the past or are very experienced in the field that they're doing but um, yeah, just wanted to throw that out yeah, there. 100%. So, you know, they, the old adage, people invest in people. So let's say, so if you're pitching, so again, sorry, I'm picking on Magnagem, which is like an idea you're working on, right? So if you've never done it before, right, if you've not, then you're not necessarily going to put the team at the start because you're going to want to show actually this amazing opportunity. If, however, your last business was some amazing piece of, you know, home exercise equipment that went wild and made loads of money you're going to put the team right at the start because i'm like well if you've done it once chances are you can do it again so i'm not saying that it's not that the idea melts into kind of oblivion but you know people invest in people so so if you've got that experience and if you've proven that you've done it once then that makes investors much more likely to kind of cut you some slack and kind of go well actually we back you as people to find an idea if you don't have that experience you're not going to get cut that slack so you can't just rock up with a, oh, I kind of had a bit of an idea. I'm not sure if it'll work, but maybe you could give me half a million pounds to figure that out. 100% makes a lot of sense. Maybe I forgot to mention, Ben, that I actually used to sell a, a, a bunch of gym equipment before I came up. There you with go. Where, where do I sign? Where how do I send me a term sheet? Awesome. And I, I think I just wanted to make a point on the crowdfunding as well. I think I've been looking into this recently. And like you say, it's definitely not a walk in the park. You know, all these different fundraising strategies have their own challenges. And with crowdfunding, you need to create your own community before you even launch the campaign. I think I read somewhere that you need to be certain just before you launch it that 40% of people are gonna are gonna fill your pledge. 
um, and the rest of it's um, you know down to everyone it, it, jumping on board. From a marketing point of view, it's an absolute beast. Um, it's just a, it's like meat grinder marketing. It, it, you know, unless you've got a huge, unless you've got a big community, because in that first week, you, it's it's like hardcore sales. It's like push marketing. It's oh, we've we've gone live. And you, oh, did we? You know, did you forget yesterday? We've gone live. We're just reminding you. It's really kind of so you need and if you if you haven't done the groundwork and you haven't built a community and you haven't generated that kind of burst prior to the campaign you're never going to kind of get off the launch pad and, and i don't think people see that people see like these campaigns blowing up in these amazing videos but don't appreciate just the level of sort of execution that's required behind the scenes but that in itself i you know from a learning point of view i'm like actually that that's quite it's a good way of learning about entrepreneurship and actually how tough it can be just running even a limited crowdfunding campaign yeah and just another point um to the whole you know needing to build a community to have a successful crowdfunding campaign i think it's really important to also recognize that people go to where the crowd is right so if you are on a crowdfunding site and you already have or as an investor potential investor you're seeing a lot of traction already that inclines me to want to learn more and to maybe potentially invest more. Um, yeah, so it's like social, sure. like social proofing. It's yeah. like, you know, people follow, you know, we, we're like, exactly. Her. We're kind of, and that's, that's the thing around like that happens, but in order for that to happen, you've got to generate that initial mm -hmm. boost. That, that makes people go, Oh, wow. That's that, that campaign's made a lot of money very quickly. What's going on over there. So, so in order to have that kind of herd mentality to, to take effect, you've got to, you've got to have real momentum 100 percent, and then it goes back to identifying who your early adopters are which comes back to knowing what the problem is to get them on board in the first place and, and, the, and the whole principle that we've been talking about today which it's is yeah. in the details of entrepreneurship it, it's kind of like you know, i think the it's not so it, you know is it it's not something you necessarily teach well you teach the basic principles but i think it's something that that you have to learn and i think the role of things like the enterprise lab is providing an environment where you know, you can teach the high level principles, but then you provide a space where people can go out and like experience and do practical things and then provide the coaching and the mentoring to help, you know, those kind of early stage entrepreneurs to kind of make sense of the experiences. So it's kind of like, you know, the old ad, you know, can you teach entrepreneurship? I think you can learn how to be entrepreneurial, but it's not necessarily education with a capital E. It's, it's, it's very much more around, I think it's something you, that you learn and our role is to help people learn and provide a framework that enables people to learn. 100%, absolutely, couldn't agree more. Um, ben, thank you so much for your time. Um, I, uh, I feel like we've taken so much of your lunch now, we should probably let you go. That's away great, it, it snapped me out my bad mood from this morning, so thank you very awesome. much. <laughs> That's good to hear. And I just wanted to, say i mean is, is there any just wanted to ask actually if there's any, is anything exciting brewing away at the enterprise lab events or workshops that you want to share with our listeners i know i'm absolutely excited about the vcc grand final i mean you guys push these th teams through their paces I, I didn't even realize it was like a two-month sprint you know there's, yeah, there's yeah, a lot of work that's, that's gone through and it's awesome I, d I definitely recommend so looking on our website and signing up for the the vcc grand final event so the great thing about it not being you know in a physical location is is anybody can kind of sign up to see that we've also we're working on a really cool program so it's it's not launched yet it might not happen but we're, we're trying to set up like a an international sort of um entrepreneurship hackathon so we did something with Tsinghua university 
last year. We're looking to do something again this July, but with maybe five or six international partner universities. So the same principle of working on a sort of sustainable de development goal, but where you have to form a global team. So part of the challenge will be you'll have team members that you've never met before. You'll be in different time zones, but something completely different. So, you know, uh, the opportunity to work on a really interesting global challenge, but also like work across cultures in virtual teams. That's a really interesting program. And as, as soon as, if that goes live, I'll definitely be telling you guys about it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's it's probably no better time. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think there's no better time to launch something like that, especially in the times that we're in. And I think it really encourages, you know, that collaboration and, um, and working with people from different walks of life and cultures. I think that's awesome. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, I think, Sam, if there's if there's anything else, um, I think we can we can probably call it a day um, and, and wrap things up. So nothing from my end. Just wanted to thank you again, Ben, for taking the time to jump on with me and Jay today. Um, and we can't wait to get this episode out. Great stuff. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, Ben. Cheers. Thanks, everyone, for listening.